0: church good morning to you you know what an evangelist is an evangelist by definition is a man with about five messages and 15 suits and lots of frequent flyer miles and uh, what, a, what a treat it is to be here i want you to do something for me would you please church why don't you do something when i count to three i would like you with your new england patriot loving voices red sock loving voices i would like to i would like for you to say amen I well, like you at game. Amen. All right? When I count to three, are you ready? I want everybody to participate. I'm going to be watching. Okay? I want even you women. Okay? Give me a good amen. Are you ready? One, two, three. Amen. Now I got a question for you. Did that hurt? <laughs> Feel free to do that anytime you want in the middle of a message. Let me tell you why. When you say amen, it can be, it can be a soft one. We're just only your neighbors here. But when you say amen, two things are happening. Number one. You're telling everybody that hears you, including your family, I agree. I like that. I identify with that biblical principle. Yes, bring it on. Number two, you're telling the preacher, sick him. Sick them. And we like that. I don't know if you know this, but the audience always feeds off the preacher. That's, that's a given. But every good speaker feeds off the audience, too. That's kind of interesting. And when, so when, you, when you're brave enough to, Amen. Even if it's a soft one, you let it, you let it rip, okay? Could I get an amen? amen? All right, good, all right. Let's get into it this morning, okay? I want to take you to a, a passage in Luke chapter 10 that's most unique, most unusual. Luke chapter 10, in Sunday school we were in Luke chapter 4, so a little bit of this is going to be a review for those of you that were in Sunday school. But in Luke chapter 10, we've got an episode, and, and before we kind of look at it closely, Let me just remind you that in Sunday school we learned in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus was in Galilee and he taught in their synagogues, the Bible says, and he was glorified of all. He was glorified of all. What that means is, people, that wherever Jesus preached, everybody liked him. There was something winsome about his preaching. There was something very unique about his preaching. He was very dynamic. He knew his material better than any preacher ever. He had perfect delivery, perfect understanding of his text, perfect understanding of his congregation. When he looked at you, he knew what you were thinking. He was really good at connecting. And everybody liked him. Everybody liked him. And so what you have in Luke chapter 10 is you've got Jesus preaching at a synagogue. And let me just show it to you. Could I please? Luke chapter 10. And look with me, please, at verse number 25. Are you with me? Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. And you have a verse that says this, verse 25. And behold... A certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Would you look at me, please? Let's set the stage, all right? I hope you don't mind if I come down here on the main floor. I like to get down where people live, and so let me come down here. That way I can see what you're doodling and, and you know what, who's ahead in the game. Um, but um, let, let, me, let me make sure you understand what's happening here. The Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up. Now, friends, let me tell you what a lawyer was. A lawyer in Bible times in Israel was much like a lawyer today. These guys were the authority on the law. And let me remind you that every Jew during the Bible times, every Jew was far more loyal to Jewish law than they were to Roman law. They couldn't stand Roman law. Their loyalty was to Jewish law. In fact, the historians tell us that the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, was caused because lawyers were encouraging the constituency to follow Jewish law and to ignore Roman law, and finally the Romans had it and destroyed Jerusalem. But they were very, very loyal to Jerusalem law, to Israel law. Lawyers were an authority on that law. They were highly, highly respected. They were highly Thought of, thought of they were very important now let me tell you just how important they were this episode in verse 10 verse 25 is happening in a synagogue let me tell you what happened here on the main floor in that synagogue where you're sitting was always constructed and synagogues are still like this today you would be sitting in a, in a fashion that where you're facing jerusalem no matter where you are in the world you would be facing as a congregation the temple in jerusalem Up front in that synagogue, there was no baptistry, but there was a a piece of furniture called the ark. They still have it to this day. You can Google it, not right now, please. But um, it's, it's called the ark. It might have doors on it. It might have an ornate curtain, and that's where you, a local synagogue, kept your collection of the Bible of the scrolls. Right in front of the ark was what you might call a choir lot, but it wasn't. It wasn't with choirs. They didn't have a choir. There in that choir loft, the the important people sat. That's where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and the lawyers sat there because they believed they had such a high estimation of lawyers that they felt that the Bible came to you through those important men. In fact, the Jews thought a lawyer had special, unique power with God. So please understand, people, that a lawyer was very, very highly thought of. You would never argue with a lawyer. You would never debate a lawyer. You had high respect for him. Now, let me tell you about that lawyer and what he knew. We know that the Jews, in their law books, had 613 laws, specifically 613. Why 613? Because that's how many letters there are in the Hebrew Ten Commandments. So they felt there was something holy about that number 613. They divided those 613 into two different sections. There were what they called positive laws and negative laws. There were 240 positive laws. Why 240? Because they believed that's how many parts there were to the human anatomy. Now, they got that wrong. We know a whole lot more about that today. But, so they got that wrong, but they were big into this number thing, okay, symbolic thing. So they, they believed that there were 240 parts to the human body. So they had 240 positive laws. They had 365 negative laws. Why 365, because that covers one day a year, 365 days in a year. When you add those two numbers together, you come up with 613 different laws. These lawyers were an authority on all 613. Friends, they were highly sought after. They were highly consulted. Everybody loved a lawyer. I know there are, we have all kinds of lawyer jokes. I understand that. But they were really, really very special, unique men, highly thought of. So here you've got this lawyer. He's in that service, and in the middle of the service, friends, in the middle of the service, can you imagine? He stands up. He was probably up there in that choir loft. He stands up. The speaker is out here in the middle on an elevated platform, and he stands up in the middle of the service and says, I have a question. I have a question. I am sure it was awkward. I am sure that you could have heard a pin drop. A highly thought of man stands up in the middle of the preacher's service. I got a question. That's weird. I had that happen to me one time. I was doing a revival in Rhode Island. There are Christians there. I know that shocks you. (laughs) I was doing a revival in Rhode Island and it was a a Sunday morning and and the church had had what they called a friend day where the pastor had encouraged them for a couple months to try to bring a neighbor, try to bring a friend on that particular day. We have a special speaker. and So that, that, that auditorium about the same size as yours, it was full. And right here on down front, about where this young lady right here is sitting, was a soccer mom, probably about the same age. And I was doing a, a message on the flesh less against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and how you need to mortify the body. It's always your enemy. You know, you need to have victory over that. And right in the middle of my message, I paused for a moment and I heard, wait a minute. It was this girl, this lady, wait a minute. I like my body. I've spent money working on my body. You could hear a pin drop. Everybody's like, whoa, weird, weird. I think I handled it very nicely, Pastor. I said, well, ma'am, that's good. Why don't you just see the pastor afterwards and he'll help <laughs> you with that? And then it continued with my message. But could I suggest to you that that's what you've got going on in this synagogue? Right in the middle of Jesus' message a lawyer stands up and says, I've got a question. And ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to understand is the question he asked was absolutely wonderful. He asked a wonderful question. He asked a question that I guarantee you was on all their minds. Everybody had this same question way down deep in their hearts. And that question was, how do I know I'm going to heaven? How do I know? How do I know? Now, why would he ask that, friends? Because that Jew knew something, and everybody in that synagogue, they knew something about life. And you need to understand this too, my friend, because it's so true with you. Every one of you that are breathing air right now, I don't care who you are, married, single, rich, poor, smart, dumb like me, whoever you might be, you were created, my friend. You were created immortal. You're going to live somewhere forever. You need to understand that. You were created immortal. And all of you know that. And every Jew in that synagogue knew that. And that lawyer knew, I've been created. I'm going to spend eternity somewhere. Friends, that is true of mankind. May I remind you that all through history, the Egyptians, if they were wealthy enough, would always bury their dead with a, sil- with a, with a, with a boat. There are boats in those pyramids. Why? So that when they went off to eternity, they could sail the celestial seas in that boat. Greeks, if they were wealthy enough, Greeks would be buried with a silver coin in their mouth so that they could pay the toll to get into heaven. Our American Indians, many of them were buried with a pony so they had something to ride in what they called the eternal hunting grounds. Or sometimes they were buried elevated so that they were closer to heaven. But, friends, all through our societies and all through our history, man, it's always known there's something next. I'm not sure I understand what it is, but I know there's something next. As we we teach our children, you've got an inside person and an outside person. Your inside person, my friend, was created to live forever. You will live as a person, as you. You will live somewhere forever. And that lawyer knew that. And everybody in that synagogue knew that. I've been created to live forever, and I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. What a great question. And who's he asking? He's asking it to the giver of eternal life. What a great question. And friends, can I remind you what every Jew in that auditorium knew? Let me tell you what they knew. I want to take a few moments, and I want to take you to two different passages in the Old Testament. I want everybody to turn there, or I'm going to preach until 1.30. I want you to see these two passages. Now, friends, please understand, there are many, many, many passages I could take you to in the Old Testament. I'm just going to take you to two Hall of Fame's two very, very famous passages. And the first one I'd like to take you to is in Daniel chapter 12. Would you turn there with me, please, and I'll give you a few moments to find it. Daniel is right after Ezekiel. Daniel chapter 12, and if you're sharp here this morning, you know that Daniel chapter 12 is the last chapter of Daniel. And while you're trying to find it, let me remind you, folks, Jews absolutely adore Daniel. They love him. In fact, the wise men that appeared at the Christmas story, the wise men were there probably because of Daniel. Daniel was a very highly thought of prophet. And Daniel talks a lot about the fact that Israel someday will be the world-dominant power with a man called the Messiah on the throne. They know that. Every Jew knows that. And every Jew is looking forward to that. They know that. And that's talked a lot about in Daniel. They, They adore Daniel. Isaiah and Daniel they love. And in Daniel chapter 12, and you got to know that every Jewish man in that synagogue was familiar with this passage. Let me show you what it says. Daniel chapter 12. Are you with me? Say amen if your Bible's open. All right. Three of you. Okay. Here we go. Daniel chapter 12. Now watch this. Verse number one. Watch this. And at that time, we're talking about the future. And at that time shall Michael stand up. Would you look at me for a moment? Michael is a very revered archangel and the protector of Israel. Every Jew knows that. They love Michael. He's a protector of their nation, they believe. So when we say Michael, we're talking about an angel. Okay, now let's read on. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. That would be Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble. Talking about the tribulation. Such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, folks, this is all future. And at that time, thy people, that's Israel, shall be delivered. Everyone, now watch this, people, everyone that shall be found written in the last word out loud, church. Every Jew knows. Friends, every Jew knows there's some kind of book. There's some kind of book. I don't know if my name is in it, but I know there's some kind of book that my name can be written in that will mean that I get eternal life. Now, let's watch verse 2. Let's read on. Verse 2. And many, not all, not all, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some, not all, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. People, do you understand? Every Jew knows that. They know there's some kind of book. I don't know if my name is in there. That's what this lawyer is asking. I don't know if my name's in that book. Boy, I sure hope so. I mean, who doesn't want to go to heaven? I mean, duh. Boy, I sure hope my name's in there. I hope I'm one of those few. I hope I'm one of those, one of those some. But friends, do you understand? Every Jew knows that. And every Jew knows that someday the Messiah is going to come. He's going to set up an earthly throne in Jerusalem. He's going to go through the eastern gate. Let me tell you something about Jerusalem. I've been there. Let me tell you something about Jerusalem. Right there at that eastern gate, it's in the eastern wall. Prophecy says the Messiah is going to go through that eastern gate. Right now it's cemented shut. Right in front of that eastern gate is a valley. That valley is called the Kidron Valley. You read a lot about it in the Old Testament. To this day... If you're a wealthy Jew, you want to be buried in that Kedron Valley. I've been there. There are graves and mass burial spots. I've got all kinds of stories I can tell you to see me afterwards for a dollar. But, I mean, just, there are so many people buried there. Folks, I am not exaggerating. I went for a jog. I went for probably a five-mile, three-mile run when I was in Jerusalem, and I was running around the perimeter road of the eastern gate, Eastern wall and running along, and I was just impressed with all the human bone that's in the gutter. So many Jews over the last centuries have been buried in the Ketor. You know why? You know why? Because they know that someday the Messiah is going to go through the Eastern Gate and they know that they're going to get resurrected to life. And and boy, I sure hope I'm one of them. And maybe it'll increase my chances if I get buried somewhere near the Eastern Gate. Friends, do you understand? That's the Jewish mindset. They know that. The lawyer knew that. Everybody in that synagogue knew that. Now, let me take you to one more, okay? You're being a good class. Stay with me. Go to Psalm 32. And when I say that word Psalm, many of you know that this is their hymn book. Isn't that interesting? The largest book in your Bible, folks, is a hymn book. God wants his people singing. Music is so powerful. What you listen to has such a huge effect, Christian, on your health spiritually. But in Psalm 32, watch this, would you please? Psalm 32. I'll give you a moment to find it. Psalm 32. And and friends, we're in the the Jewish hymn book. So please understand, in that synagogue, they would have known this. They, They sang this all the time. They knew it well. Look what it says in Psalm 32. Everybody with me? Is your Bible open there? Say amen. Amen. Oh, great. Psalm 32, verse 1. Watch this. Blessed. Would you look at me for a moment before I read on? I love that word, blessed. Let me tell you what it means. I'm going to make a statement that's going to shock you. You're going to want to gasp. In fact, I'm going to let you. When I do this, I want you to go, <gasps> okay, let's practice. You ready? One, two, three. Three, very good, all right? Now, I'm going to make a statement that's going to make you gasp, and I want you to do that, okay? God wants his people happy. <gasps> yes. <laughs> God wants his people happy. Now, folks, I'm not talking about giddy. Oh, I just won megabucks. Oh, I just got a new car. Oh, I just got a new truck. No, we're not talking about shallow junk like that. We're talking about an inner state of contentment and peace and joy, knowing that my God is still on the throne and he loves me and I'm his. That's the kind of happy we're talking about. Oh, it's priceless. And that's exactly, people, what the word blessed means. The word blessed means happy. If you're not a happy dude, if you're not a happy dudette, there's something wrong with your engine. Something wrong with you. God wants his people happy. And that's what the word blessed means. Now let's read on with that newfound information. Watch this. Blessed is he Whose transgression is what? Forgiven. Whose sin is what? Covered. Friends, every Jew knows that. You can lead somebody to Jesus Christ by the Old Testament. Every Jew knows I'm a sinner. I need my sin forgiven. I need my sin covered. Look at verse number two. Blessed, woohoo, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in other words, he doesn't find him guilty, and in whose spirit there is no guile or conviction. I've got a free conscience. Blessed is that kind of man. Friends, do you understand here this morning that that's exactly what the lawyer knew? He knew he was a sinner. Everybody in that synagogue knew, I'm a sinner. I need my sin covered. I need to be forgiven. I really want my name in that book. I really want to know that I'm going to be living forever with the Messiah. How do I know? That's what the lawyer's asking. How do I know that for sure? You know what that means, people? He didn't know for sure. They didn't know. That element of doubt was on their minds. They could not get past it. And friends, I want you to understand this morning, there's no greater question you could ever ask in your life than where are you going to spend eternity? You should have the same question that lawyer had. But you live in a society, you're Americans. In 2024, you're Americans. And you live in a society that has done all it can to deflect you from even thinking about that. We got all kinds of sports, all kinds of entertainment. We are so busy so that we don't think much. In fact, it's considered profane to even talk about death. It's profane in your society. But yet, my friends, a fact of life is death. You're all going to die. You've all been created immortal. Your inside person is going to live somewhere forever. You need to understand that. And that lawyer knew that. I hope you do, too. So he says, Master. Look at the end of verse 1 again. He says there, I've got you in Psalm. Go back to Luke chapter 10 now. Thank you for coming with me. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, Master. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, look what Jesus does, people. Look at verse 26. He, Jesus, said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? In other words, how do you understand it? Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is not being snarky. He is recognizing in front of that, no doubt, large audience that an authority has stood up, a highly respected man has stood up. And Jesus is deferring to him. You're the authority. We all know that. You tell us what's the right answer. Folks, the answer he gives is absolutely marvelous. Look what he says, verse 27. Here's his answer. And he answered, he being the lawyer, answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Look at the next verse, and then I'm going to expound. Verse 28. And Jesus said unto him, you nailed it, buddy. You nailed it. That is the right answer. Friends, what you've got there is you've got God in flesh saying, that is inspired stuff. That is the right answer. I give my blessing on that answer. That is the right answer. Now, friends, let me tell you about that answer. What you have just read is what the Jews call the Shema. Have you ever heard that term before, the Shema? It's very, very significant and important to the Jewish mindset. The Shema, people, is an answer that the lawyer just gave that's made up of two verses, one in Deuteronomy and one in Leviticus. And it summarizes all 613 laws. Everything about the Old Testament is summarized in the Shema. Let me tell you about the Shema. A Jew, if it's a practicing Jew, a Jew will say the Shema twice a day. The first thing when they get out of bed and the last thing before they go to bed, even the women. And when they say it, they always cover their eyes Why? Well, when you have your pastor stand up in your church or somebody else and says, let's pray, what do you do? You close your eyes, don't you? Where in the Bible does it say to close your eyes? It doesn't. Why do we close our eyes? Because we don't want to be distracted. We want our prayer to be sincere. We want to have our heart and our mind in our prayer. Jews are the same way. So when they say the Shema, they cover their eyes so that they know they are focusing and they're not being distracted. That's how important it is to them. I don't know if you've ever been to a Jewish home. I highly recommend it. It's interesting. But when you walk up to a Jewish home, if it's a, if it's a practicing Jewish home, when you walk up to the front door, right here on the doorpost is what they call a mezuzah. That mezuzah is a little box And inside that little box is a piece of paper. And on that paper, the Shema is written. And when a Jew goes in and out of that door for the day, they will always take their hand, kiss it, and lay it on the mezuzah to show God that they're trying to be loyal to the Shema. Jesus is saying, you have answered correctly. If you want to go to heaven, if you want your name in that book, you need to keep the law. The Shema. Well, friends, it's what is the Shema? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy heart. Can I show it? Can I read to you a quote? I don't always do this in a, in a message like this, but I want to read a quote to you um, that I think is so very significant, and I've lost it. Oh Mike. Oh, you, oh, oh, let me, will you give me just a moment, folks? I had it pulled up here, but your pastor distracted me, and I, I lost it. Um, okay, here we go. Now, I'm going to be quoting here a phenomenal preacher. And if you want to know who it is, see me afterwards. I don't want to clutter the message with all that information right now. But here is what the Shema is saying, folks. If you want to go to heaven... This is what the law teaches you. You have to have perfect love. Let me tell you what that means. Listen carefully. Perfect love with all your means he is calling for a perfect love with nothing left out, nothing omitted, nothing diminished, comprehensive, complete, supreme, unmixed, perfect love for God with all your human faculties and the same kind of love toward your neighbor. Do you want to be in God's kingdom? Jesus said, love God perfectly and love others perfectly. That's what God requires for eternal life. That love would be demonstrated by perfect, unwavering trust in God, perfect devotion to God that is to his will and his word, perfect fellowship with God, never ever violated, never broken, never interrupted, perfect humility before God without any taint of pride whatsoever, perfect obedience to every law that God has ever revealed, perfect hatred of sin, perfect satisfaction and delight in God's presence, perfect affection for the truth, perfect everything. Anybody in here doing that? No, and let me tell you, if I would asked that question in that synagogue, nobody would have raised their hand. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what this Shema does. The Shema proves to you, whether you're Jewish, Catholic, Islam, Mo- Muslim, Christ, whatever you are, the law tells you there's nothing you can do that's good enough to get you to heaven. You are in a world of hurt. In fact, let me take you to one more reference. I want all of you to turn there, okay? Go to Romans chapter 3. I want to show you a verse that no doubt you've heard your pastor preach on. It's a well-known verse, but friends, I want you to see this. Romans chapter 3, and look with me, if you would, please, at verse number 20. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 20. I want you to see this, okay? Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. And ver- I, I don't hear a lot of pages turning. You're, you're, you're upsetting me. Are you, are you all turning? Romans, let me just check, okay? Bibles are open. Good, all right. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 20. Are you, are you with me? Say amen if you're alive. Amen. All right, verse number 20. Watch this, friends. We'll look at what the Apostle Paul says. Verse number 20, Romans chapter 3. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law, the Shema is the knowledge of sin. Friends, what we're told by the Old Testament, what we're told by the law, what we're told by the Shema is, I can't do anything good enough to get to heaven. I'm in a world of hurt. I need help. And that's exactly, people, what the Shema is trying to teach the Jews, but they don't get it. They don't get it. And I wonder if you do. There's nothing you can do that's good enough. You are in a world of hurt. You're going to live somewhere forever. You were created immortal. And there's nothing you can do to earn heaven. There's only one way to get there. And that's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid your price. Amen. It's the only way. It's the only way. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be rescued. Rescued from what? Sin, the law, being guilty. It's only through Jesus Christ that I can give my name in that book. And friends, that's what Jesus was trying to get this lawyer to understand. He's saying, You've answered it correctly. This do, and you shall live. Well, that lawyer knew. So immediately, friends, verse 28, I think, is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And what a perfect verse to describe America. Look at verse 28. Verse 28, I've got you in Romans chapter 3. Go back to Luke 10. Okay, we're just about done, friends. Stay with me, okay? And then you can go to McDonald's, okay? Luke chapter 10 and verse 28. Watch this. No, I want verse 29. Verse 29. But he, lawyer, willing to, next word out loud, congregation, justify himself. There's America. Oh, I'm not that bad. Wait a minute. I, I, I don't deserve hell. No way. I'm, I'm good enough. I'm not as bad as Harry down, the, down that, that's two-timing his wife. I'm not as bad as John down there that's a drunk. I'm okay. I, I, I think I'm okay. You are justifying yourself. God's not looking for that, my friend. God's looking for you to admit, I'm guilty. I need you. Please save me. I need to be rescued. Even though I live in New Hampshire and I'm wealthy, I need to be rescued. I lived in New England, people, for 17 years. I know this economy, this society very well. I'm a Boston University graduate. I know this area. I love it. I love New England. Unlike your pastor, I love New England. (laughs) I was living in Connecticut at the time. And my wife sent me on an errand. This is in the Hartford area, Hartford, Connecticut, where we lived for about 13 years. I went on an errand in the car. It was 9 o'clock in the evening, and there was nobody on the road. I came to a four-way stop, and I did what is famously referred to as a California stop. I just kind of rolled through it and went on my way. Wasn't even thinking. Nobody's around. Well, no sooner did I get to the other side, when, I, and was, there's was no street. I mean, it's dark, and all of a sudden... Blue lights in my rearview mirror. I thought, good grief, where did he come from? Wow, I never, what in the world? I pulled over, and just a suggestion to you men, because you men always get pulled over, the women never do. When they pull you over, keep your hands on the steering wheel. They want to see your hands. I'd already gotten out my license and registration. I had my hand. I rolled down the window, and a young man, young enough to be my son, came up to my window. He was very polite. And he said, sir, are you aware of the fact that you did not stop at that four-way stop? I said, sir, you are right. I didn't stop. I was a 1,000 miles away mentally. I rolled right through that puppy. I'm guilty. He literally took a step back and leaned over, and he said, you mean you're not going to argue with me? (laughs) I said, no. He said, you're the very first person I've ever stopped at this four-way stop that didn't try to debate me. He said, next time, stop, okay? Have a good evening. He had mercy. He did not give me what I deserved. He wasn't looking for a debate. And he was amazed he didn't get one. And ladies and gentlemen, could I suggest to you that God's the exact same way? He's not looking for a debate. He's not looking for you to defend yourself. He's looking for you to say, guilty. I can't do it. This Shema thing. I'm hopeless. I need you. Would you please save me? And ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly why Jesus Christ came. That's exactly why we have Christmas. That's exactly why we have Easter. Because God came in flesh and paid on that cross the penalty for you. So that if you just call on him, the Bible says he'll save you. And I love this. It's going to be goose pimples. He writes your name on the palm of his hand. He writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. I hope you know that this morning. I hope you know that you're going to heaven. And if not, may God give you the courage to call on him and ask him to forgive you of your sin and to be your savior. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? I want to ask a question i i I will not friends please understand up front if you're visiting here this morning if you're a regular attendee i am not going to embarrass you i'm not going to call anybody out by name i'm going to have your pastor looking and he and i are the only ones looking in this auditorium but i'm going to ask a question and i'd like you if you'd be brave enough to raise your hand not we're not going to not going to call you out not going to embarrass you any kind of way just like you to answer me if you would just by your hand okay i wonder if you're here this morning and you'd be able to say brother mike I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that in my life, my name is in that book. If that's you, my friend, would you just quietly slip up your hand and put it down? Just high enough that I can see it and put it down. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you for your honesty. Those of you that did not raise your hand, thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Could I talk to you for a moment? the Bible says that something should happen to you on the way home from this service today, and that's certainly nobody's desire. That if something were to happen to you this week, the Bible says you will spend eternity in hell, the lake of fire. It is a place that God never really intended for humans. He created it for the devil. That's the devil's ultimate destination someday. But by default, when you reject Jesus Christ, when you reject a message that you've heard like this this morning, you by default will go to the same place. That is nobody's desire. That does not give me any kind of delight to share. But I do delight in this. You can know for sure that you're going to heaven. You can know it for sure. In fact, the book of 1 John says, these things were written that ye may know that ye have eternal life. God wants you to know that for sure. You say, well, Mike, how do I know for sure? You know it by asking Jesus Christ to save you, by calling on him in the form of a prayer from your heart to his heart, asking Jesus Christ to save you. And let me tell you something about Jesus Christ, friends. He loves you. He hates your sin, but he loves your soul. And he has never, ever, ever said no. He has never said no to anybody who calls on him. And you could call on him right there where you're sitting. I wonder if you're here this morning and you'd say, Mike, please don't embarrass me, don't call me out by name, but I would love to know my name is in that book. I would love to know. Would you please pray for me? Here's my hand. Would you just quietly slip it up high enough that I can see it? I would love to know my name is in that book. Here's my hand. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do know that there are people here this morning that don't know you. They don't have a personal relationship with you. Lord, I do pray that you'd work on their hearts, help them to see their need, help them to overcome their pride. That's the only reason somebody doesn't call on you is their pride. They want to justify themselves like that lawyer did. But God, I do pray that your word, the seed of the gospel as it's it's been planted this morning, would find fruit, would take root, that Lord, maybe one of these people that don't know you would maybe pull me aside or somebody else they trust here and just say, listen, I want to know more. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. But I pray that you would do a work in their life. Father, thank you for Community Baptist Church. Thank you for a church that still uses the office of evangelist. God, I pray that you'd bring back this entire crowd tonight with an attitude of anticipation, knowing that we're going to hear from you again. Lord, help us to love our church. Use this week, would you please mildly? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Pastor.